Hi, this is Ben Lola back to the Bible Canada. On the program today, we continue our one-week series with Dr. Newfeld entitled Skillful Living. What does it mean to build your life from the inside out? Well, that's what we'll discover today as we look in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 22. I'm reading Proverbs 2, 1 to 11. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Everyone wants to be happy and everyone wants to live well. Everyone wants to be successful. We want the best in our relationships. No one ever begins a marriage with the hope that they're going to get divorced one day or bicker and fight all their way through life. No one wants that. But some get that. Everyone wants to be healthy and live long. Everyone wants to succeed in his or her job. Everyone wants to do well financially. Everyone wants the proper balance of work and rest. The list goes on and on. But so few find this. Is there a secret to living with skill or to living wisely? According to Proverbs 2, success begins on the inside and then and only then moves out. That's why certain how-to books, even though they make sense, never work for us. We get the idea of what to do, but the inside remains unchanged. For instance, let's say you get a how-to book on finances, and you read about saving and giving and investing well and spending wisely and a whole host of items. But there's something wrong inside you that causes you to spend impulsively, so you haven't learned how to master greed or envy of what others have. And that's why you spend unwisely. Unless one learns that success begins on the inside, all the how-to books in the world are worthless. Now, before we look at the details of Proverbs 2, let me tell you a little bit about what we've just read. Proverbs 2 consists of just one sentence in the Hebrew. That's quite a long sentence. Secondly, it has 22 verses which correspond to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The idea is that this passage represents completeness, everything from A to Z, if you will. And thirdly, the passage is a perfect poem. That is, it's divided into two sections. Each section has exactly 11 verses. It follows a pattern of four verses, four verses, three verses, and then repeats the exact same formula in the second half. So for our purposes, this passage is very easy to outline, and hence it should be relatively simple to understand. The first half of the poem, that is the first 11 verses of this long sentence, the part that we've just read, seeks to tell us that it all begins on the inside. I want you to notice that the setting is a father teaching his son about wisdom. Like every wise father, he wants his son to live well. He wants his son to develop the inner character qualities so that when he faces troubles, I mean, the one described in the last 11 verses that he has learned on the inside and what he has learned will help him to navigate the difficulties of life. Notice that in the first four verses, the father uses the word if three times. 
if you receive my words, if you call out for insight, if you seek for wisdom like other men seek for silver. See, the wise father knows that there are conditions that have to be met in order for the son to be equipped to live well. The first if concerns itself with the attitude the son has towards instruction, towards commands, towards learning, towards the painstaking work of growing in wisdom. The father understands that true knowledge involves a commitment to that knowledge. See, how many of you remember the first time you learned to ride a bicycle? You know, perhaps it was your dad or an older sibling that promised you that they would hold the back of the bike and all you needed to do was pedal and not to worry they'd be holding on. And and then all of a sudden you realized they weren't behind you. How many of you, when you realized that, fell over? But then you were encouraged, look, see, you did it and you can do it again. And soon you realize that riding a bicycle would involve a full commitment to this thing, which includes risk-taking and learning skills. But unless you are committed to it, no amount of classroom instruction was going to teach you. So you tried again, and before you became skillful, you'd scraped your knees and bruised your arm, and that was the price of tuition. See, the same is true with learning wisdom. Simply taking a class on wisdom is not enough. Notice the wording. First, you must receive words, that is, you must welcome these words of Proverbs. Now, the second word, treasure. The notion of treasuring something means to store it up. The old rabbis used to say that you can't just learn a lesson one time, you have to learn it a hundred times, going over it again and again. That includes memorizations, so the lessons in wisdom are internalized. Putting that matter plainly, it means one goes through key individual proverbs from chapter 11 onwards and commits them to memory until they become a part of you, easily recalled, easily applied. See, here's another illustration that works. My wife plays the piano, and she would always say that you need to form ruts in your brain from what your eyes see on the musical score to what your hands play. That means repeating over and over and over and over again until in verse 2, the ear becomes attentive. Now, the second if is found in verse 3. If you call for insight, it means that you must take initiative. Wisdom doesn't simply come to the idle. One must pursue it. It requires effort. You have to be a self-starter. The last if is in verse 4. If you seek it like silver. Let me restate that verse. If you seek wisdom the way you seek money, See, in order to get money, you learn a career. You become an expert and proficient in some field of endeavor. And then you resist the calls of people who say, well, let's go to the beach. And instead you say, no, I I have to work. And in this way, you crowd out other pursuits and distractions, all to seek for gold. And that's how we must pursue wisdom, not as an idle curiosity. And so wisdom becomes overwhelmingly desirable. You develop a taste for it. Now to verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, it is important not to jump to the wrong conclusion. See, the wrong conclusion would be, first you seek wisdom, then you find God. That's the wrong conclusion for all sorts of reasons. Probably a good reason would be that that conclusion is out of sorts with the testimony of the whole Bible. According to Romans 3, no one seeks God in the first place. No fallen human being has the moral capacity to ever turn to God. According to Ephesians 1, God always initiates every single encounter with him that we have. And according to Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace and and not by human effort. 
Rather, what verse 5 really teaches us is that you seek wisdom when you do so, you're actually seeking God. For when we begin to internalize wisdom, an insight begins to capture our minds. We're beginning to understand the fear of the Lord. That is, in seeking wisdom, we're building a deep and profound and lasting inner experience of adoration and respect and love for God. After all, all wisdom comes from God. See, lest we get the wrong idea about verse 5, verse 6 is expected to correct this. For the Lord gives wisdom, it says. The only reason why wisdom is possible to fallen human beings with all our propensity to live unwisely is because God has given wisdom to us in the first place. Now let's get back to the if. If you make wisdom overwhelmingly desirable, then according to verses 7 and 8, God will shield you from all those things in life that could wreck your life. I mean, the very things that have ruined countless lives of people in the past, those things will not wreck your life. That's God's promise to you. The opposite of this approach is the person who has not made wisdom a prized possession. Then they come to God saying, help me out of this mess that I'm in. And God will often say, if you learn to seek after wisdom, I will begin to build you from the inside out. That's why verses 9 to 11 speak of understanding and righteousness and justice and equity and ultimately the kind of knowledge found in wisdom that will become pleasant to our soul. Our taste buds will have been changed. We will begin to find that acquiring wisdom is more desirable than all other things that we used to find desirable. Now, I'm tempted here to give examples of just that. But those examples are actually provided for us in the rest of this chapter. Remember, I said it gets divided into two halves, and we've only looked at the first 11 verses. Verses 12 to 22 give some concrete examples of how being changed from the inside out actually begins to affect our external actions and the way in which we make decisions. As we begin to unpack what it means to live wisely, The book of Proverbs teaches us that wisdom begins from the inside. It's a lesson that we must learn internally before we begin to apply it in our own lives. We begun today reminding ourselves of how important it is to seek and desire wisdom more than anything else, for in so doing we're seeking after God Himself. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld helps us discover practically how to build our lives from the inside out. Thanks so much for joining us today. You know, these days it seems like people in our society are more concerned about how to be happy above everything else. But sadly, too many are looking for it in all the wrong places. The Bible teaches us something radically different, that the secret to happiness is found in wisdom. And when we do, we discover who God is and how to follow Him. Wisdom is the subject of our current series with Dr. John Newfeld called Skillful Living. If you've been enjoying this teaching so far, ask for your free copy of the CD series today. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or email us at info at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. Suppose for a moment that you're eating red kimchi for the first time. Apparently in Korea, the further south you go, the spicier your kimchi becomes. 
I think the really spicy stuff, if you've never had it, well, it's going to make your eyes turn red and spin them around like a slot machine in your sockets and, and fire is going to leap out of your throat. I can't eat it. But some people have trained their palate and they love it and they desire it and they look for it. They eat it with joy and gladness and I can't even nibble it. So it is with wisdom. When you train yourself to desire it, you'll find it delightful, and then you will prefer wisdom. Until you do so, you'll prefer folly, and you will only nibble at wisdom. But when you prefer wisdom, says verse 11, then discretion will watch over you. Now, that word discretion can also be translated as shrewdness or level-headedness. That is, the person who has discretion is perceptive. That is, they become aware of how decisions will affect them and people around them over the long haul. And so they choose not looking at the moment, but looking down the road. Show me a person like that, and I'll show you a person who avoids a great many errors in life. Show me a person like that, and I'll show you a person who knows how to live well. Now, remember that the setting of Proverbs 2 is the conversation between a father and a son. The father knows that the son needs examples of how wisdom protects you from a great deal of evil. Indeed, the second half of this poem, from verses 12 to 22, shows us how wisdom on the inside leads to strength in two key areas on the outside. The first area of strength is the ability to resist evil people and easy money. Verses 12 to 15 says, Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Now, who are these men? A part of the clue is found in verse 13, in which we find that they have forsaken the path of uprightness. That means that at some time, they must have been near it. The images of men who have grown up in homes and in a community where God was honored, but have abandoned that path. You know, there are men like Esau, who could not see the value of his birthright, simply traded it away. Remember the day Esau was hungry, his brother said, I'll sell you this bowl of lentil stew for your birthright. And Esau said, what good's a birthright? Give me some stew. And the Bible says, He despised his birthright. He saw no value in his spiritual heritage and gladly gave it away for an immediate advantage. That's who these men in Proverbs are. And the father in Proverbs knows that these evil men come from the same background as his son. His son could easily form a friendship with them. And the father is greatly concerned over the influence they might have over him. See, why is it possible for the young man to lose his own way and follow them? And the answer is that these men are men of perverted speech. Another translation calls them seductive speech. The father is concerned that the persuasiveness of these men will be greater than the persuasiveness of the father. And when it comes right down to it, when the son becomes an adolescent and then later becomes a man, the father knows that others will have a greater impact on his son than he has. And by the way, a word to parents. When you have young children in your home, there is no greater authority in your kid's life than you. What you do models for your children. More than anything else, young kids want to be like their parents. But the days of primary influence over your children will come to an end, and it will end quickly. Your kids will begin to change, and as they do, other voices start getting larger and louder, and soon yours becomes quieter. That's why you want to direct your kids while you can. 
Get them to a Bible-directed, God-directed youth group. Make sure that you're within the house of God. Train them at home. Begin to stack the deck in your favor with godly friends and, and leaders they admire. But even after you've done that, you're going to still find that there will be those who invite your kids on the pathway of evil. See, back in chapter 1, that way of evil was associated with young men who were criminals. Inviting the young man to join them in the life of crime, they promised the young man easy money. But if a young man or woman has been trained in the wisdom of God and developed a palate for it, God will act on their behalf and protect them, and they will be able to resist evil and easy money. Now to verses 16 to 19. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. There are several pictures here that are significant. First of all, notice how alluring this woman is. Her words are said to be smooth. The idea of being smooth is a biblical image used several times. It always means someone who is deceptive, someone who flatters someone else, but all the while is using that flattery to get what they want. So the woman with smooth words is a flattering woman who tells the young man everything his ego wants to hear. He hears from her lips that he's good-looking and strong and desirable and that he's the man. He's never met a woman who so believes in him. Please see the picture. This is not the picture of a sexually immoral young man who's willing to sleep around. This is the picture of a young man who's bought a purity ring, who dreams that one day he will stand at the altar and two young people committed to sexual purity until marriage. But this young woman opens up doors with her words that he's never heard before and ignites a flame in his heart. She dresses in a way that none of the women he knew before ever dressed, and she knows how to get to him. Now, the wise father actually knows about women like this, even though his son will learn about them later. But the wise father knows something else about women like this, something that this woman doesn't even know about herself. The house that this woman is living in is sinking not just a few centimeters or even a meter, but it's sinking all the way down to Sheol, to the land where the dead live to the land of sadness and horror, to the land where none escape. The father also knows that those who go to her actually share in her destiny. Of course, this can happen the other way around as well. It can be the story of a young woman with a purity ring. Or it can be a number of other stories of sexual misadventure, sexual sin, followed by sexual sorrow. And the wise father knows he can't possibly be there for all of these scenarios. And that's what wisdom does. If the heart of his son has developed a palate for wisdom, if he learns to fear God, has an insight into the nature and dynamic of sexual temptation, he will find, as verse 7 says, God will provide for him a shield. Now, the father is using but two examples of the kind of things that threaten the young man's well-being. He's using them as an example of the reason why you want to develop a palate whereby you find wisdom overwhelmingly desirable. Let me add also that while this is good for young men and women, it is also something that the rest of us need to heed. First of all, the good news of the gospel to those who have abandoned the good path is always the same. The first is to come to Christ, to, to repent and to receive his boundless forgiveness. There can be a new point of beginning. God can bring you purity where there has been none. 
Without the grace of Christ, however, there can be no point of beginning, but with him, all things can be made new. You can be the one who has tasted every kind of evil and still find grace and mercy before his altar. But all of us need, no matter what age we are, to develop a palate, a taste for wisdom. We must know that the good life is built from the inside out. The reason you fall into the same sin over and over again is because something is lacking on the inside. What's lacking is an overwhelming desire for that which is good. Proverbs is so helpful, our palates can be trained. John, a real insightful message as we continue our study in the book of Proverbs. Uh, One thing I wanted to ask you, has anything been more assaulted and spoiled in our culture than our understanding of our sexuality? Yeah, I think sexuality, uh, we're going to talk about that later on this week. I'm I'm taking one of the chapters of the book simply to talk about that issue because it's so foundational in our society. Wisdom around sexuality in our society will state that it consists of doing what you want to do, answering your bodily urges in whatever way you want. Uh, Wisdom from God says, consider the end thereof. Consider where the pathway actually leads. And those two things are so different. And so we, we need to press very hard onto, especially the, the unwise and gullible, this truth of consequences to actions. Today, perhaps we've learned more about the impact of wisdom upon our lives than ever before. Wisdom is a field of study that demands our attention, not only for those of us who are raising children, but for all who desire to live a godly life in Christ. I think this message is particularly helpful as we examine our own internal state of being. Are we desiring wisdom? Are we developing a real palate for it? Are we being wise in the choices we make and what we think about? I hope you've been impacted from listening to our study with Dr. Newfeld. Be sure to join us again tomorrow as we continue discussing the secrets of skillful living from the book of Proverbs. Back to the Bible Canada leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. At Back to the Bible Canada, we passionately believe in the power of God's Word to change hearts and minds for eternity. It's our hope and prayer that His Word will continue to draw people of all ages and situations to Himself. And it begins with solid teaching of the Bible. And we're so humbled by your response. Kate, who wrote recently, said, Dr. John Newfeld is an absolutely amazing Bible teacher. I listen to his teaching of God's Word every day, and they are so truthful, clear, uplifting, insightful, inspiring, filled with humility, and overall just exemplary. Well, God bless Dr. Newfeld and everyone who is a part of the Back to the Bible Canada team for all that you do. My prayers are with you all such that Jesus will enable you to continue to do many more amazing works for him and for his purpose. Amen. We're so grateful to hear these words of encouragement, but we're also reminded of the great privilege and responsibility we've been given. I know you feel passionate about the faithful teaching of the Bible as well. So could I ask you to continue to pray for this ministry and to support this ministry in providing the financial resources necessary to continue. This radio program wouldn't be possible but for like-minded, generous friends like you. 
To find out more or to send a gift, please visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425.